0: and load. This is Steve Dace. The
1: Steve Dace Show.
2: And greetings! Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre are here as well. If you'd like to join us, steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's it, D-E-A-C-E. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at stevedaceshow. 888-900-3393 is the number here to the Blaze. That's 888-900-3393. 93 we've got a lot going on here today a theology thursday we'll have a guest and more for that part of the program coming up here in hour number two three non-political questions coming up at the bottom of the hour as we take our weekly break from the decline and fall of western civilization but let's start there why don't we because that seems to be what pretty much aaron chronicles for us on a daily basis with what happened while we were
3: away What happened while we were away, brought to you by Fallout. President Trump was asked about his abandoning of the Kurds yesterday when he said this.
1: The Kurds are fighting for their land, just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today, they didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Normandy, as an example. They mentioned names of different battles. They were there, but they're there to help us with their land, and that's a different thing. In addition to that, we we, tr- we have spent tremendous amounts of money uh, on helping the Kurds in terms of ammunition, in terms of weapons, in terms of money, in terms of pay – With all of that being said, we like the Kurds.
3: Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu tweets, Israel strongly condemns the Turkish invasion of the Kurdish areas in Syria and warns against the ethnic cleansing of the Kurds by Turkey and its proxies. Israel is prepared to extend humanitarian assistance to the gallant Kurdish people. Turkish dictator and wannabe caliph Tayyip Erdogan is also reportedly threatening to send 3.6 million Syrian refugees in Turkey to Europe if European countries label his country's military incursion in Syria as an occupation. A new Fox News poll shows that 51% of people want Donald Trump impeached and removed from office. From the day I announced I was running for president, I have never had a good Fox News poll. Whoever their pollster is, they suck. But Fox News is also much different than it used to be back in the good old days. Two Soviet-born donors to a pro-Trump fundraising committee who helped Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani's efforts to investigate Joe Biden were arrested Wednesday on criminal charges of violating campaign financing rules— and are expected to appear in federal court today. Also, fallout continues from the National Basketball Association's continued kowtowing to communist China. This from Golden State Warrior superstar Steph Curry.
1: No, I think this one's just from, it's a league-wide situation in our presence in China. It's It's just a different conversation, I think, than... What we have normally, uh, coach talking about gun violence or gender equality, and things that uh, for us is being uh, spokespeople for people who can't speak for themselves within our communities. That.
3: Earlier this week, the mothership ESPN reportedly sent a memo out to its on-air personalities instructing them not to make disparaging remarks about China's government when discussing the aforementioned ongoing stories. Yesterday, during a story on the matter, ESPN featured a graphic of China, including an outline of the disputed South China Sea. That type of map is generally only used by China and her allies as propaganda. Fans of the Washington, D.C. wizards had their pro-Hong Kong signs confiscated before yesterday's game against a team from China. Planned Parenthood announced a $45 million campaign aiming to defeat Donald Trump in 2020. The campaign focuses on Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Planned Parenthood still receives in the neighborhood of $500 million every year through medicaid a video surfaced recently of a city council meeting in oak park illinois debating that city's update to their diversity statement it's just a reminder that progressivism really is in your backyard
0: i don't want to hear what you have to say oh my gosh no i'm serious jim why do you have an opinion on this come on susan this is i I won't say say a word that's why i like to You shouldn't have an opinion on that. I met with constituents of color and quite quite honestly, some of the feedback was that some of this wording was ridiculous. You have been white from birth. Why are you arguing what is a system of oppression? You've never experienced one. Mm -hmm. This mayor and this board is obviously not willing to face history. We have a chance to make history. It is time for this community.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, to face equity enough. And you stop it. You are a white male. You true. stop it. You are a white male. Your skin stop. is light enough.
3: Stop it. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, I guess I should take this white face off.
0: Supongo que debería quitarme esta cara blanca.
3: Checking back in for the 50th time this week on the climate crazies in the United Kingdom. And finally, the magic of live television
1: On the border. Their concern is that they want. Um, their concern is that they want to have a, a Kurdish. Excuse me, my my kids are here. Live television,
3: and that's what happened while we were away. Was was that a protest or the
2: human centipede? Does, does anybody know oh. what 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 was that? Yes, yes. Uh, Aaron's montage brought to you by our friends over at Swiss America. If you want to know how we became. A debtor nation. Where where did our constitutional money system go? Uh, Dare I say our biblical money system, where did it go? Why did we slowly but surely, why did leftist progressives want to wean us off uh, that system and put us on this Federal Reserve welfare state system we've been on now for generations? Why? If you want to know the answer to those questions. And then figure out uh, what we can do about it, how you can protect your own wealth, your own productivity. And you may think, I'm middle class, I'm not wealthy. Well, do you have a life insurance policy? Do you have a home that you own with some equity? you have anything investments whatsoever? You're probably worth more than you think, all right? Uh, And that's exactly why you want to get this free report titled, What the Bible Says About Money. From our friends over at Swiss America, it's a report and CD. What the Bible says about money. Not to mention, this is a. I mean, you want to have a worldview curriculum? Do you homeschool? If you do that, um, you want to maybe uh, see what your your own kids know as they're about ready to go out into the real world about handling their own money and things of that nature. These are all really good tools to take a look at. All right, and if you're <clears throat> if you're watching a show like ours, you're either a. Um, Cruising for, you're just a glutton for punishment. But more than likely, most of you are probably watching or listening because um, you're big into worldview and being informed. So make sure you get this report. What the Bible says about money, it's a report and CD, and it's free at SwissAmerica.com. That's SwissAmerica.com. Or give them a call at 800-289-2646. 1-800-289-2646 or SwissAmerica.com. Let's take a look at what Aaron has for us today. There's a a couple of things I want to zero in on. Uh, Let's start with the Fox News poll on impeachment. That's actually 51% of Americans want Trump impeached and removed from office. All right? Not not just, you know, let's have an impeachment and then see what happens in the Senate. No, that's 51 to 40. It's plus 11. Plus 11 that Americans want Trump removed from office I really don't want to have to go through the whole polls were wrong thing in 2016 cuz it how that's not true that, but I know people just like to you know and I get it you know my, it, it's the same thing where you know if your team wins a bull game in college football they're young and everybody comes back next year and then if 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 your team loses a bull game uh, the the younger guys you recruited are always more athletic and faster than the guys moving on. And if your team sucked on offense in the first week of the season, you were holding back to not put anything on film, right? I mean, the, these are just tropes that I don't think it's possible to, to dig through that mental concrete. I'm going to keep trying because that's just how I roll. I just, I cannot allow fallacies to go unchallenged in my presence. It's just how I'm wired that way. But but it, it's not true. It's a It's completely untrue. But, you know, we'll move on anyway. Here's what I think that poll is telling you. And let me, let me try to do this in a constructive manner. If, and I've done this a few times over the last couple of years to put it in this kind of context, okay? If, if I got called into the Oval Office and I was the political director of the White House and the president said to me, if I worked for President Trump and he said to me, Tell me as you as you look through this these numbers, tell me what you, the big takeaway is. The big takeaway is too many people don't want Donald Trump to be president anymore. And if you provide them a mechanism where they don't have to wait 400 some odd days until the next election to um, to exert that authority or that opinion. And then they also don't have to do it right now with consideration for what the alternative would be. That's something else to keep in mind, right? There isn't a Democrat nominee right now. And so there's nobody that Donald Trump has had six months to go head to head with and tear down and go after and expose. And, uh, you know, you're only getting one side of the story right now. And this goes back to something I've told you about. Donald Trump as a political mechanism from the very beginning that, With a foil, he's almost, I I mean, he's the last son of Krypton. How many times have I said this for years? But on his own, he's his own Kryptonite. On his own, he's unlikable. He doesn't wear well. He's grading. And and since he likes to keep playing to the same uh, base over and over and over again, you know, America isn't Sean Hannity, folks, any more than it's Rachel Maddow. It's just not. Now you can have a Sean Hannity and a Lou Dobbs for an ally, but it, but you, but if it's at the expense of I'm not comfortable talking to the Neil Cavutos of the world, well then all you're doing really is just you're in your own silo now. You know you're not you're not doing anything to expand your base at all. If anything, you're just in your own echo chamber. You're in a feedback loop. Well, I heard on Hannity's show I was great, and Hannity, uh, well, Sean Hannity uh, said, I was, said he was great because he heard, because Trump told him he was great. And, that, and so they each heard he was great, he was great, and uh, great. And that's not, that's, that's not America. And the good news is, I don't think this, these numbers have anything to do with the merit of whatever these charges are from Ukraine. Not to mention, I don't think so far, based on what I have seen, there's all that much merit to the charges themselves. That's the good news. Okay? The bad news is that to me is really a Trump 2020 reelect poll. And so yeah, you give me what what that number is is how you lost the house last year. Every swing district, every suburban swing district, that's your that's how you lost it right there. If you give people an opportunity to say you mean Donald Trump is gone, so the silliness will end, the drama will end. Now we all know the silliness and the drama won't end. I mean, they're already writing about President Pelosi Okay, we're going to start in on Mike Pence and, you know, uh, his Billy Graham rule and where his wife works for three seconds if and when Donald Trump were to were to be kicked out of office. We know that most of America, though, isn't as obsessed with this as we are. And and what, what they see is a media they don't like and a president who at every opportunity fails to do anything to rise above this. I just he he can't on any level just govern. I've got a tweet. Fox News polls suck. The and and he's in a he's in a quandary now because, and we're in a quandary as conservative media with this, by the way, because you love that content is what our numbers are showing. You love it, and 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 the president wants to give you what you want, so he keeps giving you that content. But the problem is, the content that a lot of you want is what drives a lot of the rest of America away. And I'm not sure it has to be an either or, but you got to be able to do an and also here. You know, you got to have a, you know, to everything, there is a time and a season, Ecclesiastes. And and you have to, at some point, he's got to be able to turn off the trolling mechanism and just be a president. That's why you see people respond to him so well after he gives these uh, joint sessions of Congress speeches where he just sticks to a script and touches on unifying themes. People love it. But except for those kinds of settings, he seems either unable or unwilling, and I don't know him well enough to know what the answer to that is, to, to 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 embody the expectations people have for the office. I mean, look at look at look at, and this ties into the other thing I wanted to talk about. Look at the opening to Aaron's montage. Look at the difference in responses on on the forget. Forget the opinion, whether you agree with the opinion given. Throw that out the window, all right? Don't don't even look at whether you put yourself in the in the in the in the place of your neighbors who aren't following this as much as you and I do, all right? And and you're going out to the mailbox this afternoon, and so and so across the street, and you're getting your mail at the same time, and this topic comes up, and and they're not as in tune to the issues as you as you and I are. If they just saw those two leadership responses, what Donald Trump said, and I have no idea why, with the, where the Kurdish people stood on the, on, on D Day seventy eight years ago. Do you know why that's relevant right now? Do you know why? Uh, no. This, this this I mean I have no idea why that's relevant. I, I I don't have a clue why that is relevant. I I mean I, I mean. I, what does that even mean? Does anybody even know what... He doesn't know what it means. He's grasping for justification to show that, that there's some, there was some deep-seated thought here other than I'm just doing things. Contrast that. Forget whether you agree with the analysis. Most people won't even go that far. Contrast that clip with, the, with, with what B.B. Netanyahu said about the exact same situation in a tweet. And ask yourself, Jata, just go out to your, 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 your neighborhood. Out there in Carlisle, Iowa, you go out there to get the mail. Provided your neighbor is even paying attention to this at all, which is highly unlikely. Correct. Okay? But if they are, which do you think they're likely to respond to? It's, it's easily the Netanyahu one. I agree. Uh, and and, and it's, it's, it's the kind of thing, too, where that ex, the way he expresses that has people who previously didn't have an opinion— now they have one. Now they're like, who the hell cares about? Yesterday they were like, who the hell cares about some dunk, you know, Bedouins in Syria, man? I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, pay my student loans, right? Mm-hmm. But, then, but then when they're, but, but if you have a leader who can express something the way Netanyahu does there, yeah, yeah, you're right, man. That's not right what's happening to them. You know what I'm saying? Sure. That's how people operate. And he seems incapable of commuting and that's how you communicate in a way that that grows and expands your base he seems incapable of doing this on any level or unwilling and I don't know him well enough to know which it is and you know the media doesn't have to run for an election they're totally fine with a race to the bottom I think they've demonstrated they don't care what public opinion is of their credibility right they don't care they don't care what their circulation numbers are they don't care what their ratings are They they don't care they don't care They've got, they've got moneyed interest pump, pumping them up to, to push out this you know, leftist-driven narrative and propaganda. So they don't really care. CNN doesn't care that their number one show is 21st in the cable news ratings, Anderson Cooper. They don't care. They don't care. He does have to care, though. He's got to meet voters. He's got to get their approval. And he needs to expand his base. And he's, gotta, he's got to figure out Is there a way to communicate? Because this is different than running against Hillary in 2016 as well. He's the president now. He's the incumbent. He has a record. He's not something new. Hillary Clinton was old and tired four years ago. You know what? I think the guy's nuts, but we'll give it a shot. At least I, how many people do you know that went and voted for Donald Trump because they said something like this? You know what? I don't know. I don't know what the guy will do and I'm not sure he's with it, but I know, I know what I'm going to get from Hillary Clinton. And I don't want that, so I'll take a chance. How many people do you know overwhelming amount of them did? Yeah. Well, that argument's not going to work this time. He's the known quantity this time. This is why presidents don't get reelected unless they expand their base. Only one president has ever done this. In the history of this republic... The only president who ever got reelected without expanding his base that wasn't in the middle of World War One or World War II, where the voting numbers plummeted, obviously, because a good portion of our, uh, you know, uh, duly are or, or, or eligible to vote were otherwise predisposed. The only president who's ever done this was Barack Obama in 2012. And and he needed his, another historic level of minority turnout. And an incredibly inept Mitt Romney campaign to pull that one off. That's the only time in American history a president has won re-election without expanding his base. And by the way, how often do presidents win re-election? All time in America, about 70%. So I think that's a pretty good trend. Presidents typically get re-elected, but they don't get re-elected if they don't grow their popularity. And he's got to figure out, now that I'm the incumbent, because there's a lot of water under the bridge... Because that that argument that I voted for Trump the last time a lot of people had is going to go against him this time. Next time it's going to be, you know what, I know I'm going to get from Donald Trump and I'm just tired of it. So I guess we'll see what Elizabeth Warren wants to do. This is the time period that he's got to be expanding his base and he's got to figure out, is there a way I can communicate? Why the hell is he talking about what a bunch of Kurds who were not alive on D-Day? As, is, as, was the, as was 95% of the people that are going to vote next year weren't alive on D-Day either. What, 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 why is that relevant? Because what that communicates to people is, I haven't really thought this through. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I mean, if you would have stood up there and said, we greatly appreciate the value that the Kurds have been as allies. That's why we're arming them. That's why we still arm them. That's why we've invested a lot in them in my presidency but at some point we've got to put the American people and their interests first. Is that a totally different message than the one you just heard in that clip? Right. Of course. totally different message. Well, then- Totally different message. That's the presidency in general. Yes. Most of, most of the American presidency, particularly in an era where we just let the judges decide everything is the, is the use of the bully pulpit. That's most of the American this is what presidency.
0: You're, yeah. This is what you're trying to sum up when you say just yesterday or the day before, where, where's the tough guy?
2: Yes, uh, you know, I think it's extraordinary. Bibi Netanyahu is hardly a Trump hater. Okay, I know I've been tweeting that today in pure sarcasm. It's extraordinary to see him come off the top rope on Trump like yep. this. I don't don't let anybody tell you differently. It's ex, don't let anybody spin you differently. That is extraordinary. I, I mean, and it, and it, and there's no way to there's no way to interpret it. Other than over there in Tel Aviv, well, I guess it's Jerusalem now, thanks to Trump. Uh, over there in Jerusalem, some folks got up yesterday and said, "You know what? Damn it, man! The adults have got to step in here. This is ridiculous." And I know the argument out there is, "Well, you know what? Hey, let's let Turkey go into Syria and they can fight the Iranians and let them slaughter each other." I understand that argument, but who is there been anybody? Is there anybody alive on planet Earth right now who has been more anti-Iran? over the course of the last four decades than Bibi Netanyahu. No. And and if he's not moved by that argument, I don't know how good of an argument that is. I mean, he has staked a lot of his political career and a lot of his own political capital on opposition to Iran. And so if he doesn't see a nuanced argument there and he's coming off the top rope like that on the American president, I think that speaks volumes. You want to say well, something? all Go this ahead.
0: begs the question and we have to totally turn one of the paradigms we talk about on its head and at least beg the question. Can the economy possibly be good enough
2: to save Trump? I think we're getting into an arena where that question is very valid. Yeah, I do. I do. And, and you know, I said at the beginning of the year this year needs to be about because next year's all campaign mode. You know, it's a little bit like a football team. It, it's hard to improve your fundamentals once the season began, begins. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get better at stuff with more reps and competition, right? But, you know, it's not like in week nine, your quarterback just suddenly stops having happy feet. I mean, hell, how many times has he been hitting the first eight games? If anything, it's going to get worse mm-hmm. at that. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, you, you do, you can improve on your technique, but you can't improve your fundamentals. You That's what the off season, you spend eight months getting ready for the season to do that. And it's very hard to raise your stature and your popularity in a campaign because that's the game and everybody it's, it's nasty all the time. They're going to be really nasty. He's going to be nasty back. And that's why I said, when we came in here in January, this has to be the year for the raising of the stature and popularity of the president, because then that frees him up to be as nasty as he needs to be next year in the heat of a campaign. But if but if people are making up their mind they don't like you right now, it's really hard to convince them once the negative ads start flowing everywhere to change their minds about that. And that's what that Fox News poll says to me. It's the great prophet Alan Iverson once said, I'm tired. They they want this to end. And it and, says it in the face
0: of again earlier this week, the numbers you meant about uh, unemployment numbers
2: yes. and various subsections yeah, we have of the, the, we have the most Americans we the workforce right now. Keep the workforce right now, we in the right now, we the workforce than we in the workforce than we've ever had. When under Obama, we had the most Americans unemployed than we ever had. We have the highest, or the, I'll put it, the best, the best unemployment rate amongst Hispanics since we started recording that stat about four decades ago. We have maintained our record low unemployment among black Americans since we started recording that stat about five or six decades ago. Yeah.
0: Yep, this poll exists.
2: Yes. And, I, and, and it mirrors what is being said in other places. The, over, there's, the majority of Americans don't want him to be the president. That's the bad news. The good news is the election's not tomorrow. But at some point, there's got to be an adult in there somewhere. Somewhere there's got to be a, I, you know, I, and I used to say this about him as a, as a as, you know, during the last election. I, you know he wasn't closing all of these big time deals acting like this all the time, right? At some point, there was some savoir faire. At some point, there was some um, smooth it over, right? We've seen it. You know who we've seen it? When he talks to Kim Jong-un, when he talks to President Xi, um, and when he talks to his uh, his business partner over there in uh, Istanbul, Erdogan. That's when we see it. Well, the American people need to see it when it's about the stuff they care about. And they need to see him doing this with other Americans that don't like him and don't agree with him. He's got to figure out. He's got to, He's you know... <laughs> he's got to become a better salesman, a much better salesman. That's funny. It is funny. That's why I paused before I said it. Because, but, but, and that's what because what this is saying. People are saying is, I'm not going to buy this. Stop asking.
0: You're saying he needs to read the art of the deal.
2: Yeah, yeah, and he's he's got to escape the vortex of the me- he's got to escape the media vortex. People aren't reading it. They're not watching it. They don't care. They hate the media. They hated the media before Trump got here. They hate him even more now, and they're going to hate him after he leaves. He's got to figure out how to relate directly to the American people. And if he doesn't do that, he's not going to do that. (laughs) Oh, Then, you know... I guess I don't, I, I, I struggle with this. You know, I'm I, I'm struggling. This as a Michigan fan. We can't switch the quarterback. So we just sit here. Let's just and go eight and four. Like, I, I don't understand that mindset. I never have. And it's why I don't have a lot of friends. If you're empowered to change the outcome, why wouldn't you? Why just sit there and let it occur? That makes no sense to me.
0: Well, this is what idol worship does.
2: Okay. Then I guess we're going to play this out. And, 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 and here's the thing, too. If you play it out and you win like this, you th- if you think that, boy, can you, if you win like this. Yeah. Well, what, what's going I mean, he's going to become a lame duck three seconds after this stops. The investigations will, they'll double and triple down on that. Okay. That's, you want to talk about Pyrrhic victories? That would be one to win like that. Okay. See,
0: in his mind that's the thing Steve he won like this last time all the particular there's no Hillary this time you're right but in his mind he won like this last time that, so why is he going to change I don't
2: do you, think he, he, do you think he sold all he got he closed all of those golf course deals in, in Ireland acting like this just walked into the Irish government you guys suck think he did that I, I doubt that I highly doubt that that guy's got to be there somewhere. Somewhere. Right? And and somewhere when he's not when he's not sucking up to a dictator in the in on the far east, that guy's got to be there somewhere. He needs to come out and play. More in a moment. RealEstateAgentsItrust.com is a company Glenn Beck and some of his friends started a few years ago because they got tired of running into real estate agents I couldn't trust, right? And they couldn't make it any plainer than naming the company Real Estate Agents I Trust, all right? And so what's the point of this? Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of referral services out there. I was listening to a sports station that I listen to a lot in the mornings when I'm working out, and they had a commercial on there from the National Association for Realtors, you know, "Hey, help us find you a realtor." Well, and, and I'm sure they're on the up and up, but the premise is flawed because a lot of those others will start from the premise of how do we really find clients for agents? Cause they represent the, the agent's interests. In the case of realestateagentsitrust.com, it's really about finding an agent worthy of having you for a client. Someone who's been fully vetted when it comes to their proven track record, when it comes to their their notions of of having a marketing plan beyond what do you think of an open house again this weekend and someone who knows what the phrase professional courtesy means. That means returning my calls, answering my texts. And when you told me you were going to try to give me a 30-minute heads up before you brought a buyer over at the last minute, this is the third time you've now violated that. All right? So if you want an agent That checks all three of those boxes. You're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust. Go to the website realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. I want to say one more thing about the uh, comments from BB Netanyahu today. Um, We don't go down this road very often on this show because um, for various reasons. I had to self edit because if I started naming any reasons, then I was going to have to go down this road. You know what I'm saying? All right. So for various reasons, we don't go down this road on this show very often, but a lot of the president's staunchest evangelical support. And that's his most important core base. That's why they get attacked by the media all the time. Cause the media understands that's his most important core base. He would not be president today without them. A lot of the president's staunchest evangelical support are, um, boy, I want to, it's important, I think, for you to know this. That's why I'm bringing it up. But I'm trying to bring it up in a way that, that causes me the least amount of pain in real time. <laughs> All right. Um, the, a lot of the president's staunchest evangelical support subscribes to a certain end times theory, that puts a lot of preeminence on on Israel. Is that is that okay?
0: Yeah, I mean, yes. I,
2: I mean, I'm I'm fumbling in the dark here. Have I that tripped over fine.
0: myself yet? I wouldn't have said end times because you're screwed now. Yeah,
2: I <laughs> well, I thought about just dropping es- eschatological, but then I knew I'd have to define it. You know, um, and so you see that viewpoint in people like Pat Robertson talks about uh, who talked over the weekend that Trump could lose quote the mandate of heaven for this uh, for going down this road and with the Kurds and in, in Syria. When they see something like the leader of Israel come off the top rope, as we just described and break sharply from the white house's messaging on this to essentially, I mean, when was the last time you can recall probably Netanyahu and Iran and the Iran deal? Is the last time we have seen an Israeli leader, I mean, make a clean cut, Corky, okay? <laughs> a clean cut. Make a clean cut. A little waiting for Guffman there. Try to lighten my own mood because I know what emails await me. But if I didn't think this was important for you to understand, I wouldn't have brought it up, all right? Because it's not like I'm just into self-flagellation here, Um it, it, it's 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 certainly been since Netanyahu and Obama's Iran deal that we have seen an Israeli leader
3: and, make a clear separation. I was going to say back when you said that it was extraordinary when it happened at, with then, Obama. T- at that time.
2: Yeah, and that's when you kind of knew that this deal was was beyond just the normal partisan disagreement environment here domestically. But this was, uh, as John Lithgow says in the in the really mediocre Pet Cemetery remake, the ground was bad. All right, the, this was just bad. Okay. Um, and and then before that i don't remember the last time before that that an Israeli leader on a on a matter of geopolitical import made it clear we stand separate from the u s on this i don't remember the last time before the iran deal when that happened, and so when you've got a lot of people who's who the the, the culmination of their belief system is the nation of Israel is the imperative to that culmination. And they see a Christian community imperiled because of our pulling out and, and handing them over to the Turks. Who, by the way, who are the Turks? I mean, they're the people that ended, uh, that ended Rome. All right. You know, that, that they're the people that, uh, that took all those churches in Asia minor eons ago and, um, converted them uh, to Islam that you read about in the book of Revelation. That's who the, that those ancient people are. And now we're just going to hand this Christian population, again, I'm speaking in their, in their minds. We're going to hand this Christian population over to the Turks. And they're already uneasy with it, okay? And there's already a conflict between this is my guy, my quarterback, but I don't really like this. What do I do? And now you got Israel coming in, you know, like, Captain Lou Albano at WrestleMania with the with the chair, all right, uh, you know, a, a late insertion into the ring. When they see Israel break like that, that's that's going to have an impact on them. Absolutely, it will. And I think that it, that might be something to watch in the next couple of days. Have I said enough? Can I, can we move on now? I'm really uncomfortable, but I just felt like this was something that had to be addressed. And I wasn't sure anybody else was going to point this out to the audience, either because they either don't know about it or they're smarter than us or me for going there. But am I am am I okay? Can we just move on now?
3: I think um, I think yes.
2: You're not
0: okay, but we can move on. Yeah.
2: Okay. Let's move on.
3: A little break from the decline and continued fall of Western civilization. It's three non-political questions on The Steve Day Show. First question for all of us. We all have to answer these questions as truthfully and as forthrightly as possible. What is one sport you think you could be really good at with a little bit of practice at this stage in your life? Ah, uh, basketball.
2: It was it was always my best sport. Well, baseball was actually my best. I just got bored with it, so I stopped playing it. So a lot of that you know, muscle memory and stuff is gone. But I mean, I played basketball, especially after my weight loss well past my, into my 40s. It's only getting, the last couple of years, I gave it up uh, because I've got degenerative tissue in my Achilles. I kept having this pain in my Achilles when I'd go play, my heel. And finally, my doctor sent me in uh, for an MRI and I've got degenerative tissue there and they're like, you know, it, it, nothing may ever happen. And then like the next time you play, you might snap your Achilles and that's a nine to 10 month injury, you know, with a hell of a rehab. And so I haven't played really competitively since, but I still, you know, shoot around in the driveway and stuff like that with Noah or kids, um, you know, at, uh, at uh, when we do the Levy Des Moines days through our church in the summertime and stuff like that. So uh, it would be, for me, it would be basketball.
0: Well, at this age in our life, that's a tough one. I I was actually at baseball. I was a better baseball player, particularly. I was a better hitter at thirty than I was at twenty, playing in uh, the old man's league here. But it's it was, it was really solid baseball, and uh, the pitching was solid as well. But I I was just more more disciplined, and more fundamentally sound. Boy, but as a I mean, I'm a forty seven year old man. What what could I possibly get good at at this This is where you. I mean, you just being there and guys approaching the age of thirty-five to forty, when we're watching our heroes play football, and uh, starting to feel old, and you're like, "What? What are you talking about? It's football. You're so lucky to." Play. And now here, you just like, the, like there's not a morning where you don't know, crawl out of bed and you feel creaky, and you got to get down those stairs to take the dogs out, and it's starting to get cold. I mean, it just it's a, what a sob story. I'm pathetic, but it's true. You just you just feel it. So I I. I I can't think of a sport that I could get pretty g- – can you define for me pretty good, Aaron?
3: Like you could hold your own against pretty good people.
2: Yeah, but my age or younger? Yeah, your age. Yeah. That's what I assumed he meant. Yeah.
0: Man, pick up right now. Uh, I don't um, – baseball at 30 is my best example. I don't think I could be good at anything picking up new – that I would that I didn't play before. I just I'm – I'm just kind of broken now. Uh,
3: I broke Todd, broke I'm, Todd, ladies and gentlemen. I think the answer is obvious. I was shattering while listening to that. that that's I a, yeah, that yeah, so I depressing. Like, Why well, was that guy? Like, life was, is full of pain and disappointment.
0: I was always healthier and fitter than almost all my peers. Mm-hmm. I just, because I, I, and I still run. I still, I'm, I'm still in decent shape. But I mean, I'm not. While well, they were already kind of broken down, I, I, I exceeded most of them by five to ten years. But now. I'm just in that camp. I guess I'm I'm embracing it like a warm hug. You know, it just is what it is, man.
3: Uh, for me, it would. You're was throwing it get off my be, lawn while you're at it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm yeah. good at that. I was good
0: at that when I was 15.
3: It would either be uh, <laughs> ping pong or tetherball. Probably tetherball, since I have some experience with that. It's a good sport. Good for uh, what? Thank is it? you, Calis- Napoleon Dynamite. Calisthenics. Thank you. Uh, I don't even know what calisthenics is, but I'm I think it's good for for that. Um, you know, it's a good uh, good exercise for your heart because you're jumping up and down and, and swinging your your limbs around all the time and I think with a little bit of practice I could be uh, I could be you're sorry pretty, you're
2: just thinking of the right words to say
3: uh, pretty right? pretty sweet yeah. Look how you know they don't, don't sound
2: the way you plan them to be but if you have to walk the world, and make you fall not, for me? I, sure. I promise you. Right? Not, Isn't that what you're doing, Uncle Rico? You're going Napoleon sure Dynamite on us? Where
3: you're going with that? That's
2: the that's the but, tetherball scene. They play oh, the really? promise song from the '80s while oh, he's playing tetherball. That's right. I thought that's what bad. you were referencing. My bad. No. Okay. My
3: bad. I I, I was not necessary. I didn't have. I actually played tetherball quite a bit when I was growing up. I, well, that that's, that's fun. that that is the most. It's a fun thing. That's
2: the most believable yeah. thing about you. You have said since you've come to work here. That right there.
3: I make no bones about it. Uh, No no regrets No regrets
2: Doesn't he just strike you As the kid that played Tetherball in school Right (laughs) My answer was uplifting compared to that. You can't. Yes, I'm even more. Sh- I'm even more broken right now. Todd, tell me more about your you both, your inadequacies. You, I think.
3: I think this reaction is because you both know that I would kick your butt at tetherball, and you would be embarrassed. Because what's worse than playing tetherball is getting your butt kicked at it. So I think that. what's
2: worse is actually being good at it. Actually, I think that that might be the worst thing of them all is being good at it. Yeah. Yeah. To show that you played it a lot, it that, that actually like, might be the most depressing. thing. Sounds
3: like something a nerd would say. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> If you could, uh, if, if everything in your life, all the possessions in your life, material possessions, were taken away, but you could choose four to keep, what would they be?
2: Uh, four to keep. Uh, material possessions? Yes. So, this include a home and a car? No. Okay. So, we're counting those as like right. a necessity? Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, my, uh, my big screen TV. My surround sound. Um. Uh, the internet and um, uh, my Directv. Although I guess if I had the internet nowadays, I don't really need Direct Directv. I do Yeah, I I only have Directv because I went to cancel it like six months ago, when I saw that they were offering their online version.
3: I love this story, by the way. A lot
2: for like half of what I'm paying, and I've been a customer since this, 2000. Yeah. So I just called them up and said I'm canceling. I mean, I, I'm there's. I mean, why would I pay twice as much for this when I when you when you're offering my packaging? Uh, online for half the cost, and so they gave me the uh, the hardwire yes uh, packaging for the same thing
3: that on the, I would get online, so I pay half of that now. Hardwire is superior I yeah. mean, it 's not that much better, but it is superior because it 's more uh, more uh, more dependable. sustainable and dependable yeah, yeah.
2: so I guess I, if I, since i 'm online i don 't really need direct TV um, so i 'll say uh, internet access, my big screen TV, uh, the surround sound. And uh, uh, my PlayStation, I go with those. I, that that's keeps so me you're sane saying at night.
3: "Sayonara" to your phone.
2: I could go without my phone. Yeah, you know, well, I, well, that's the thing too. Are we counting it as a necessity? Because I only use my phone for work-related stuff. I'm not, you know, I don't. I, I can, I can go without it if I had to. That's fine. Yeah.
0: That was the most predictable answer you've ever given, by the way. Pretty easy one, yeah, actually. Yeah,
2: the man cave. Just. Yeah, that's my essentially what I just players. laid off for you is my own man cave yeah. without, without like any furniture or anything. <laughs> yeah, just that. Yes.
3: Oh, let's see. Uh, if this involves vinegar, we're cutting away. I think we should just go home. <laughs> no,
0: Second. Food's a staple, right? I mean, there's, that's not even a thing. And you can't say, and it's the this would be the ultimate Jesus Duke to say your Bible, but I think we're saying that's a staple, right? If
2: you, you listen, if you consider your Bible a worldly possession, that's oh, not a but, Jesus Duke. No, that's what I'm. You're what a heretic, all oh. right. Oh. I think that's why I
0: said it's a staple. Okay. Yes. Uh, what would I keep? Clothing doesn't count. That's that's a necessity.
2: I don't. Now, f- this is the Jesus Duke. I'm just so mm. aesthetic. Right now, and this is why I struggle every every Ash Wednesday with what to give up for Lent because I have given all my attachment to this world away.
0: Well, I don't have. I, I mean, I have a, I have a TV, but I don't have all that other stuff, and I'm not. I'm just not that attached to it. I'm not. I'm too busy. Driving, Could you give soccer away. I'm too busy driving kids around to practice. Just say right soccer, now.
2: and we won't make you come up with a third or three more. We'll just say soccer.
0: Say so- no, no, no. I, I would keep a TV. I would absolutely keep a TV. Okay. But see that, I mean, is it, do you even, is that a conversation to have TV without, without, uh, the internet? I mean, is that even like,
2: not anymore. It's not, no. See, that's why I had to put them both in there. Yeah. Uh,
0: you'd still want to, yeah, you'd still want the but the computer internet. That's, that's, I mean, that's like, you can think you're aesthetic all, all you want to, but that's, that's like, we talk about the public square all the time. You know, you get, you've got to be, in on the conversation, at
2: least you have to be in on the no. Friar Todd is really struggling here. He is. I kind yes. of expected this. Yeah. yeah. So would you like, how about your mead, Friar Todd? Could you, would you, would well, yeah, you want to take your mead?
0: This is, see, this is, is this your insecurity about your man cave? I just don't have that life, right? So, it's not that I don't enjoy sitting down and. You know, I can't even watch half the football games that my teams play until the soccer season is over. I'm just on the move, man. Some
2: frothy mead, Aaron. That's his other answer. Some frothy mead. Oh, mercy. My dogs. Does that count?
0: That's other move on. Yes, I've, yeah. Um, that's the worst answer anyone's ever given. <laughs> yes was predictable, and mine was the worst. I know.
3: Ah, uh, that's like two non-answers so far from Todd. How is he getting away with this? By the it, way, well,
0: because I'm—it's not purposeful. I'm just bad at it. I'm um, flailing.
3: I think for me, it'd be my phone, my TV, internet access, and Google Chromecast. you Google guys just Chromecast said the same is thing.
0: I was trying to be interesting, at least. That's not interesting. That's
2: predictable. Because we're guys. We're pretty predictable.
0: That's not a guy thing. No. The answer to the specifics of the answer is not a guy thing. It is not universally. He definitely um,
2: needs some frothy mead. It is
3: not universally man cave accessories. I'd like to. to, Yeah. I'd like to see Todd with a nice glass of mead. Aaron, what about Um, a plane? I don't have a plane. But
0: You fly.
3: Yeah. But I don't have a I don't own a plane.
0: But you wouldn't it be one of is the. Is there a third question? Yeah, it would
3: be. Yes, there okay, is. Okay, please. Uh, what's one movie. Uh, we're doing a moratorium on this question on anything Star Wars related, okay? Uh, what's one movie that needs to be made but hasn't?
2: That needs to be made but hasn't. A movie that needs to be made. Maybe but I should hasn't. have put
0: this one first.
2: Yeah, I'll let you take you this one first. You asked a version
0: of this before, I think, Karen, because we, I remember us mulling over. You had an answer to some period in history. Maybe it was like a historical movie because you. I know you went to some era in history. Okay, I'll give, an uh, I'll
2: give you one. I'll give you one. The life of Saint Paul.
0: That has been. It, made. That has been made.
2: Well, who's, wh- 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 when was that a movie?
0: Just like last year.
2: You'd yeah, no, like no. Like, it was like it was like it was like like the end of his life. I mean, like the life of Paul.
3: Oh, so the in, in, the encapsulate uh, the total encapsulation from yes the, the conversion and all that. Yep. Yes. Interesting. Yep. Todd.
0: A movie? I mean, what? Gosh, we need to, there's got, there's all, well, you know, it reminds me, that, that it's being made, that, I saw the trailer before The Joker, the Harriet Tubman movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that legitimately looks good, because half the time, she's brandishing a gun, and I love that, so. So,
2: Todd chose a movie that they did make. Aaron?
3: Uh, they need to make a Red Dead Redemption film adaptation, because we all know how good video games translate into films. From Red Dead Redemption film
2: adaptation to Theology Thursday. (laughs) What a segue. You're welcome. Next here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Stay tuned. And greetings. We are back for hour two here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. If you are listening today via the podcast, by the way, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five star review, we would be very grateful. The more of those we get, the more people like you we find. And then the more likely we are that our paychecks will arrive and clear. On payday, So thank you to the thousands of you that have left us those five-star reviews already. 888 900 93 is the number. That's 888 900 93 Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program or like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Show, and that last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. If you're one of millions of Americans struggling with chronic pain, this is pain as a result of too much inflammation in the body, relief may just be a starter kit away way. The product is called Relief Factor. It's a part of my daily regimen. And hey, I was skeptical too. You know, I'd be on these shows on The Blaze before I came to work here and the host would rave about it. And I'd be like, is it really that great? Well, now that I'm one of the hosts here, I can tell you that it really is. That's why it is a part. Of my daily regimen and here's what I love about it the most 100% drug-free Even though it's created by physicians who can prescribe drugs. That means they get it They know your body is more than a randomly evolved upright vat of chemicals. It's a created organism And one of the things it was created to do is push back on inflammation And that's where relief factor comes in four key all-natural ingredients that want to help unleash your body's internal healing power All right, if you want to give this a shot, what do you have to lose if I told you it was just going to cost you a dollar a day? you tried everything else. Why not try this for a dollar a day for three weeks? It's called the starter kit. And the reason they offer it is they're so confident in their product, they believe you're going to see results and come back for more. So get the starter kit for a dollar a day at relieffactor.com. Again, that's relieffactor.com. Get the starter kit for just a dollar a day. Well, let's get to some theology Thursday. Now, earlier this summer, we Previewed for you uh, a series that a, an apologetics ministry had put together, uh, complete with an app and some really pithy videos that we really liked. And the 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 series was called Debunked. And we thought it'd be fun to bring them back here again now that it's been several months because they've got a brand new entry that uh, is, is. If listen, if we're going to talk about doing a show based on a biblical worldview. And the primary goal of our show is to try to bring a biblical worldview into the mainstream again. Well, it's a perfectly fair question for skeptics and those who disagree. Hey, you want to base your belief system on something. How do I know that something is true and reliable? I think that's a perfectly fair question, right? That's why we're doing this. Yeah, I mean, we would ask that question if we were on the other side of, of this equation. Yes, and I used to be the person on the other side of this conversation asking questions like that. That's why we want to welcome back to the show here our good friend Carl Kirby. It's good to see you, my friend. How are you?
1: Hey, Steve. Thank you for letting us be back. I'm a blessed man, that's for sure.
2: Well, tell us again, for people that uh, it's been several months since we had you on before, introducing this series that you guys have been working on called Debunked. Let our audience know, what is this series and where did it come from?
1: Well, it's a three and a half to five minute videos because what I have found is that you've got a generation that uh, they're not gonna let you have an hour long lecture. And if they ask you a question, they want an answer, but they want it straight to the point and they want a little bit of entertainment in it. So uh, we started these a little over 10 years ago trying to go after the questions that this generation is asking but do it in a way that they'll actually pay a little bit of attention to. So uh, it, it's just one of these things where I'm on the road 196 days this year, all kind of environments, especially a lot of youth groups and, you know, college uh, – type of things. And so these are the questions that they're throwing at me and we're saying, let's go for it. So the
2: question that we're going to tackle today is, is the Bible reliable, right? Yeah. All right. So you, so let me, let me, let's go at this from a couple of common fallacies here that are associated with this. All right. Um, We don't really know who wrote the Bible. Is that true? Well,
1: We know, as a Christian, we know exactly who wrote it. God moved through men. So we do know certain books for certain, uh, who the author was, but ultimately it was God breathed, and that God breathed means God inspired. So God moved through men to write the text, but uh, he did use man to do it. So uh, yeah, we we know who wrote it ultimately, but we also know... Uh, And the vast majority of the books, there might be one that there's like a question on, not totally certain on who that author was. But when you go through textual criticism and look at the writings and look at the style, pretty, pretty certain that, uh, you know, they know who that author is.
2: You used a phrase there. I want you to define it for audience. Textual criticism. What is that?
1: Well, uh, you take and you compare the scripture. I mean, there's there's so many tests that we can do. We can do the test of um, how accurate are the manuscripts that we have with the earliest manuscripts. How many manuscripts are there in totality? How many differences are there in between them? So, taking the text and 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 breaking it down and looking at it, what what uh, how accurate is it? Uh, how, the typos, the mistakes, the all those types of things. So it's really taking the text and comparing it through all of the manuscripts that we have to just see if, hey, look, does it really line up or all these claims of, oh, there's so many copy and errors and all these mistakes and how can you ever trust it? Do those in fact have a basis in reality?
2: What do we know about those manuscripts and how many
1: of them do we have? Oh my goodness. I, I love uh, when people go look at this thing and you start looking. I, I love to tell people before you look at the scripture, go look at any other writer, any other ancient writer that you want. Plato, people don't. Plato, of course, everybody knows Plato was a real person. Socrates, I mean, all of these. Thucydides, I mean, uh, Homer, of course, Homer wrote the Iliad. Well, when you study all of those, what you're going to find is something very interesting. Homer is like the gold standard. He's the he's the one that has the most manuscripts. It's like 643 manuscripts. Well, that's great until you look at what the Scripture has. And the Scripture has over 20,000 manuscripts um, that you can—and and that's just— just one section, man, and you can compare those manuscripts and see how they all line up uh, as far as, like, uh, all those supposed copy and errors and mistakes and that sort of a thing. So to have that many manuscripts and have it's approximately 96 to 98.7% uh, accuracy is pretty amazing. But now, oh, hold up, Carl, you just said that the Bible has got mistakes and errors because it's only 96 to 98% accurate. Yes, but go look at those quote unquote errors that are in there. And you're talking about punctuation. You're talking about spelling. Like we spell honor. H-O-N-O-R. Go to England. H-O-N-O-U-R. Ooh, there you go. There's a big mistake. Or uh, something like that. There's like literally no uh, no place in the scripture where there's something that's in there that contradicts theology that's taught in any other place. It's, it's just not there.
2: When you talk about the amount of manuscripts we have and the author lineage – <clears throat> when you said we had what was it uh, six hundred and eighty manuscripts? Is six, that what the number you said of Homer? Is that was that the number you gave?
1: I think it's six forty three. Six forty three. Yeah,
2: did yeah. did Homer write all six hundred and forty three of those manuscripts that we have of him?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the closest that you can get to the existing manuscripts and to the uh, original, it's like over a thousand years apart. And that's another place where the Bible shines. We have manuscripts that are within. A 100 years of the original being written, and that's another place. If you go look at any of those other authors, Plato, uh, uh, Socrates, uh, uh, all of them, they're anywhere from a minimum of like 600 years to up to 1,000 plus years from the original to the existing manuscript that we have. So there's nothing like the Scripture. I mean, a, a simple book that I really highly recommend. We don't even write it, but it's one that really started me on this journey. Was it's a simple one by Josh McDowell. It's been updated with his son Sean, and it's called More Than a Carpenter. Right. If you were to just take that and read that, it gives you a great basic starting point to deal with these types of issues.
2: Well, for people that don't know the background of that book, it it was McDowell was was challenged by a Christian group in college yep. to debunk Christianity. And, and, and so the first thing that he did, because if Christians want to say the Bible is their primary source of record, then it's got to stand up to textual criticism and scrutiny in its own right. And so that was his primary MO and I've had him on our show several times and I've heard him describe this. I've heard him say, speak this. And this conversation was, was very key in my own conversion. Because if, if you want me to take something intellectually serious, I've got to first figure out, is it is it intellectually serious? Is it, is it worth being taken serious before I even take it seriously, if you know what I'm trying to say? And this conversation really blew me away. The amount of textual integrity that from, from ancient documentation we have for the Bible compared to just about anything else that we take uh, as authoritative, uh, as, as a source of information to antiquity, it's not even close. And, and McDowell was one of the forerunners to do a lot of that research and that's where the book, um, uh, more than a carpenter, that you just uh, that uh, or evident and then then evidence that demands a verdict is another one where he did a similar work, and that was right. that was you know key in his own eventual conversion and put him on the path to being one of the best-selling you know evangelist and apologist of, in the church in the last you know fifty sixty years.
1: He's impacted many many lives, and mine is one of them. I'll never forget taking my children as a brand new Christian. We lived in Salt Lake City, Utah. And he was on tour with the Newsboys, the band, and so they would get the young folks in to watch the band, and then Josh would come out and do a talk. And when I listened to him talk, I was a brand new Christian, and I really didn't know how to take the Scripture because I was raised, you know, in a secular school, evolution's a fact. And, you know, the Bible's just a good book, spiritual and moral stuff, put it out on the coffee table so if somebody comes over, you know, hey, they can see that you're a Christian. But Josh McDowell really laid it out, man, that it was trustworthy. And then I went a step further, and I did even more digging. And that's what blew up my faith was the fact that the, the, the Word of God is true. It's not it's not just a book of fairy tales and fables and, and, and somebody's opinion. It, it truly has uh, accurate information in it. And when I start with it to look at the world around me, that's what excited me so much is that when I started seeing that God said that he did this, and then I look at the world that I live in. Well, this is what I actually see. So now what I do in my ministry is I try to take, here's what the world says. Here's what the Word of God says. This is what we actually see. Which one is it really consistent with? Now, make an informed decision. It's not my job to argue or fight you into the kingdom. My job is to give an answer why I believe what I say that I believe.
2: We've talked about the lack of textual lineage from some of the accepted mainstream sources of antiquity to when we actually have documentation of their work and it's hundreds or you know thousands of years after we believe that these things were published right. what how did how does the the lineage of of bible manuscripts stack up to that well-
1: it's not even in comparison. Like I said, they have manuscripts that many will date up to within 50 to 60 years of the original. And, and uh, I, I think one of the greatest ones was like the Dead Sea Scrolls when they start finding, you know, the entire book of Isaiah in there and, and you start looking at this is written to within a few hundred years of the original. And you can then take that and compare that with what we had. And it was like, it blew, it literally blew people out of the water, the accuracy of it, the, the, the no mistakes in it. So, yeah, it's it's just not even close. Like I said, if you go to uh, Josephus, everybody, hey, everybody knows Josephus. There's only like nine manuscripts of Josephus's work, and they are ancient of ancient years.
2: Jewish historian that's considered authoritative yeah. on on first er, early first century Jewish history. That that's who Josephus is. But go ahead, finish I, up.
1: Yeah, right. And there's only like nine manuscripts that they have of his work, and they are hundreds of years off of the uh, uh, uh of the original. So. There honestly is nothing, nothing that can even begin to compare with what we have with the scripture.
2: What about the Old Testament? Because, okay, even, you, you, <laughs> won't, you won't see, I mean, even the most, you know, you'll see the John dominant cross and types that when they're on the history channel, when they're not talking about alien invaders. Uh, they won't even, not even the most liberal progressive theologians, the old Jesus seminar people from the 90s. You know they they don't even use these arguments anymore because even by their most liberal textual criticisms, they will place a lot of New Testament manuscripts at around ninety some odd AD. So within sixty years or so of of Christ's uh, crucifixion and 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 and, and resurrection, uh, as a, so, so they don't even make a lot of these arguments anymore about the New Testament. But the Old Testament they'll still attack. And say, well, you know, how do we buy that these things, because that's a lot of, of course, where a lot of the prophetic stuff that Christ eventually fulfills uh, takes is, is, and so they'll say, you know, those weren't nearly as reliable hand copies. Uh, you know, it, Moses didn't write the first five books, the Pentateuch, things of that nature. How does the Old Testament stack up? Um because, it, by the way, in some respects, I find this whole argument in a way to be somewhat anti-Semitic. I mean, you're you're essentially saying the uh, that the basis of, of of the Jewish religion is a fraud. All right. And, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, that's that's kind of an anti-Semitic argument in a way. But let's try to look at it just strictly from a from a logical, scientific one. How does the Old Testament stand up to textual criticism?
1: Uh, extremely well. Again, there there are many many manuscripts, m- many more than any other writings. Okay, and the accuracy is there. As a matter of fact, what I found interesting is that you can you can take uh, writings from other individuals and just about completely uh, write the scriptures from ancient writings, people quoting these types of things. It's it's just an amazing book, and so the Old Testament, as far as accuracy. If it's so out of date, then why did the ancient archaeologists take this book and use this to to identify the, the finds and to find the places when they were doing their searching over in the Middle East, and they were looking for these places? They took it as absolute authority. You can go read some of the ancient uh, uh, gentlemen that were doing all of that research, and they knew it was real. They knew it was reliable. So, yeah, it stacks up very well. I mean, we have nothing to be ashamed of.
2: Well, even modern archaeologists didn't, you know— didn't think people like the Hittites and these sorts of people existed. And, and, and and so they, they actually started digging these places up in order to debunk borrow the phrase uh, to debunk the Bible. And they got the, they got the, uh, the alternative uh, view of history through there. You mentioned, and I think this is a very important development in this conversation. You mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls. So just to give our audience some background here. So you've got this Bedouin shepherd boy mulling around these caves um, on the, on the Dead Sea uh, right out post World War Two, and uh, and he and he comes upon this uh, this cave that is housing in the you know all of these ancient manuscripts, uh, and they end up being uh, what become known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, and right. and these were these were manuscripts you know in, in the Jewish faith they took meticulous care of of reciting and repeating and and uh and passing down uh you know what they viewed as the word of god the way uh for for centuries one Mm -hmm. of the one of these offshoots from my understanding is a group that was known as the ascends and they went out there in like the late uh about a hundred some odd years before the time of christ out into the dead sea they were kind of a messianic uh offset off uh, offshoot of judaism believing the son of david was soon to appear and so they go right. out the, they go out to the Dead Sea and, and so they're they're getting themselves ready for Messiah to come and they're making sure they've got all their their the the the, the manuscripts done the scriptures are done for you know they're re, they're prepared for for Messiah to come and when the reason why that date is key is because even if you want to reject like if you, a lot of our audience would have seen Mel Gibson's The Passion 15 right. years ago and that movie begins with a quote from the prophet Isaiah and it dates it in the seventh, seven hundred something BC. Even if you want to reject that um, Isaiah did not have, you know, make these messianic prophecies that Christ alludes to uh, in in the in the Gospel of Luke, he's quoting from it directly. If you want to make the claim that 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 Isaiah really didn't make, write that in seven hundred BC, that's not true. Well, the problem you still have is now we have for sure manuscripts that the that this off this sect of judaism wrote well over a hundred years before the time of christ courtesy of the dead sea scrolls and and one of the ones that's the most intact is as you've already alluded to it is the is the book of isaiah so at the very least even if you want to dismiss the notion of Jewish, the, the, the Jewish heritage of the Old Testament scriptures, you still have to then come to grips with where did, the, where did these ascends come up with this book of Isaiah that's exactly the same one we have in our Bibles today, that they, that they date that manuscript well over 100 years before the time of Christ, and it includes all those exact same Messianic prophecies. So how do you, how do you reconcile with that then?
1: Yeah, see, that's that's our I think one of our strongest arguments, and that's why we did this new debunk the way that we did is like, look, you can do all the you know the uh, the accuracy and the fulfilled prophecies, and those are wonderful. I'm trying, I'm definitely not trying to diminish those; those are fantastic. But in this new debunk, that's why we wanted to take here's what we find. Here's a letter; you find it. Now go down and 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 criticize it. Go through and check it out to see if these claims are being true, and and that's what we see with the Dead Sea Scrolls is that here's all this information. Well, now we're able to take what we have today and go back and compare that with that standard reference, that ruler I like to call it, a standard reference. Is it in fact lining up? And man, it, it screams that we're absolutely what we have is accurate with what uh, was originally written. So, yeah, I, I think it's one of our strongest arguments, quite frankly. And but I still challenge people: don't don't believe what we say. Read it for yourself. Study for yourself. Go dig and see if. Uh, in fact, it's true, because I think what will happen is the same, same thing that happened with Josh McDowell, same thing that happened with a number of individuals who uh, went after it, who really were digging and wanted to know, and they can and they found the truth.
2: Who was, I think you want to say his name is Fulbright or somebody along those lines, one of the fathers of modern archaeology who came yep. to the conclusion that Luke was the most accurate, as in the gospel writer, Luke was the yep. most accurate historian of antiquity uh, when he got to, uh, through his own archaeological studies and findings. Before we let you go, Carl, what is, is there an argument that we haven't asked you about that you think it's important for our audience to, to confront on this question? Yep.
1: To me, well, the as far as the being able to uh, believe that there's a God, there's a number of arguments. But to me, the one that is just the greatest is the design argument. I mean, you can listen to the Richard Dawkins and the Lawrence Krausses. I highly recommend you go listen to Lawrence Krauss explain how you get something from nothing. It's almost a joke. I mean, I do a whole talk on it where we take he and Richard Dawkins on stage and they're talking about this is how you get something from nothing. And it's a joke, it literally is a joke, because if you try to explain how you can get life from non-life, you look really bad. If you try to explain how you get something from nothing, you look really bad. And so uh, you take those, but then if that did happen, if there was something that created something, then that design argument comes into play, and to me, that's like one of the strongest arguments. If you look in a mirror, if you want to see evidence for God, look in a mirror. Your body is so unbelievable. 206 bones in your body. You break a bone, it's, it's living tissue. It will grow back. Your heart's going to beat three, uh, three billion times in your lifetime. We can't build a pump like that. It's got valves that can withstand three billion beats. Your, your eyes, in order to see anything that's not moving, you have tiny muscles attached to your eye that twitch your eye 30 to 70 times a second. If those eyes don't twitch, you don't see anything that's not moving. It'll disappear on you. And by the way, do you have to tell your eyes to twitch? I mean, twitch, 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 You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it 30 to 70 times a second, and it all just happens. And don't get me started on mucus. Mucus is amazing, man. <laughs> so you just look at the human body, and I can't even talk about the brain. It's too complex. Most, most complex structure in the known universe, according to a non-Christian, The design argument to me is one that I think Christians really need to take seriously, get in and dig because that is important, but then take it to the ultimate designer. His name is Jesus. He loved us so much that while we were rejecting him, while we were spitting on him, he came and he died for us because we are created in his image and he loves us even where we are today, regardless if we rejected him. He loves us enough that he died for us. So I just, I think it's a powerful argument.
2: Carl, how can our audience, if they want to see this video, can the Bible be trusted? How can they do that?
1: Uh, Thank you. uh, All they have to do is take out their messaging software and their smart device and uh, text to the recipient. It's going to be 51555. And then in the message, the body of the message, all they have to do is write truth bombs name of your book and then uh, they can uh, they'll, they'll get an immediate text back and they will have all of their existing debunked including the current one they immediately become debunked defenders and in the future when we release new debunks they're gonna get them before we release them to the general public and so yeah five one five 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 is the recipient and then just truth bombs and the message and you'll get an immediate link with all of them
2: all right again so you can text five one five 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 one five five five, and in the in the subject line put truth bombs in the message and that's Mm -hmm. how you'll get a hold of this video and uh, a lot of the great work you guys are doing over there it's a tremendous ministry i'm glad we had a chance to uh let uh, some light shine on it again and hopefully helps your exposure with what you guys are trying to do carl thanks for joining us man
1: And you are a blessing to me. Thank you. And let us know what we can do to be a blessing to you as well. I appreciate that. Take care.
2: Uh, Hey, losing your hair sucks, right? That's where keeps comes in. Uh, a lot of uh, the reason that uh, many of us suffer hair loss nowadays is a hormone called DHT. The good news is the FDA has approved two hair treatment products that help control your DHT and prevent hair loss. They even help the hair grow back, regenerate, in a good number of guys as well. But the problem is that th- until now, these products were very expensive and it required a doctor visit to get them, but not anymore. Keeps now offers you the generic versions of those two FDA-approved hair products. So not only are they about, are they about 90% effective, that's a pretty high percentage, by the way, but uh, you can also now get them totally affordable as well. And I've got you half off to get you started because with Keeps, you can save your hair without ever having to leave your couch. Just answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you and then it's shipped discreetly to your door. So if you're tired of losing your hair, I got you a free online doctor consult and 50% off your first order right now. All right. 50% off your first order at keeps.com slash grow. Keeps.com slash grow. Get 50% off your first order at keeps.com slash grow right now. Some thoughts on the conversation we just had with Carl Kirby. Aaron, I'll start with you.
3: Yeah, so I, I go back to, I, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, uh, for our Theology Thursday, and, and we addressed someone who reached out to you on Twitter, Steve, and uh, they were truly, and I don't mean this in the seeker-sensitive, uh, hippy-dippy church way, they were truly seeking. And I'm reminded during this conversation that, that, that apologetics at its core, one, for the believer, is hopefully to deepen your love of God, or deepen your knowledge of God, um, because then your, your love of God and the way that that is borne out through your works uh, and, and through fruit in your life um, increases with your knowledge of God. Two, it is not to go and argue with somebody, even though you're capable of doing that. Always be ready to make a sound defense for the hope within you. Um, But the purpose of apologetics is not, again, to just argue with people. For no reason other than arguing itself, Ravi Zacharias and others have said multiple times that you're rarely, rarely going to argue someone into the kingdom of heaven. So I'm reminded of that Theology Thursday we had a couple of weeks ago, that if you have someone in your life who is truly seeking, you should always be ready. Always be ready, even for some of the deeper questions and ones that you may even be offended by on its face because they seem ludicrous to you because you're a believer yourself. You always need to be ready to give a sound defense uh, for these questions. And I know for a lot of people, even questioning the validity of the scriptures, whether or not they are trustworthy, that's, that seems offensive to them. But for a lot of people, guys... I don't need to tell you, you just look at the montage every day. This is, this is, that, that, what's in the montage is more the norm than not. And we would like to prefer to believe and live within our own little bubbles where everybody believes and everybody assumes and everybody gives each other the benefit of the doubt for the finer, even on the finer points of theology and doctrine. But we have to be ready to answer even some of these most fundamental and rudimentary levels of our faith. Like, can the Bible be trusted? And that's what it reminded me of, and that that conversation with Carl really reminded me of as well. Because, like it or not, this is a question that people, that's going to be one of the first, if they are seeking, that's going to be one of the first questions they have. Can I actually trust these books?
0: I think it's cool how he comes at it from so many different angles, because you do need to respect uh, the point of view on some level of the, the seeker, or even the skeptic, uh, because, and have no fear that your faith has the answers. What, I mean, what did you—you you, you covered textual criticism, you covered historicity. Right at the very end, we covered uh, uh, the things of science uh, and, and design. There, We are blessed more than ever before to be a people of faith— that has uh, uh, access uh, to resources uh, that can uh, – people have never been um, unable to testify uh, to the validity of uh, of the faith. But it's an undeniable fact that now we we, we have more arrows in our quiver Mm -hmm. than ever before. What a great blessing. People taunt us with science welcome that discussion go into it that's the power of a movie and steve it's isn't that movie like it's got to be close to 15 years old expelled it's, yeah. it's it's more than a decade old yep and it, it was I thought just, of that
2: when carl was talking yeah. about listening to them talking about how you get something from nothing it it's that it's that moment yeah. in expelled where ben stein kept kept asking the atheist w- why how And finally, he just decided that aliens—we got life because aliens came and gave us crystal shavings or something. That scene, yeah.
0: And that's well—that's not just any scientist. Oh, Richard Richard Dawkins, Dawkins. yeah. It's like the king of these people. So when they, they and they come at you very smugly and tauntingly, oftentimes. Be willing to have that discussion because uh, what you just heard is that uh, the answers are all there if you're patient, if you're faithful, if you do it in in genuine love. This isn't a get-over contest. Aaron's absolutely right, as is, of course, Ravi Zacharias. This is not—and I— I know for me, and I know for you, have had this, because uh, planting our flag early on in our faith, you, I, you're competitive. You want to win the sure. argument? Sure. No, this is a fellow soul across you, feet of, you have feet of clay just like them. Be very blessed that you have an opportunity to have this many arrows in your quiver to bring them into the faith.
2: Very well said. We, we don't really have to make any circular reasoning arguments no. at all anymore. We really don't. Uh, because of all of the tools we have at our disposal. We'll come back. We're going to continue with uh, Theology Thursday, responding to some of the theological stuff you guys have asked us about when we come back here in a moment. Stay tuned. Hey, if you're wondering why you're struggling to control your appetite as you're trying to finally be successful with your weight loss goals. Well, your body was made to create and conserve calories. It's only been a a recent development in human history that food was considered readily available for the masses up until about 100 some odd years ago. That was pretty much only true amongst the 1%, all right? So what do you do with food, especially the really good stuff this time of year, everywhere close by while you're trying to cut back? Well, thankfully, your creator put a little molecule in your body called OEA. It just is a signal from the belly to the brain to let the brain know when you're full, so that um, the brain can then regulate your metabolic activity from there. Unfortunately, though, if, if you spent too long uh, just kind of bypassing that, like it's a little bit like going to work out after being sedentary for so long, too. I mean, the muscle memory and stuff is gone. it's It's a painful exercise. That's where Riduzone comes in. Uh, Riduzone just wants to boost your OEA by putting more OEA in the body. All it is is OEA, that's why it's FDA accepted, vegan friendly, gluten free because it doesn't it doesn't you know throw in there a bunch of additives, preservatives, uh, chemicals, stimulants. Uh, caffeine It's just OEA That's all that it is To help you get back Into regulating your portion sizes And your cravings Because even this time of year Hey if, if you if you discovered The delicacy that is pumpkin Kit Kats Have you guys had these yet? I think I shared a couple with you Didn't I share one with you? No Yeah I, I think I did And even you were like Yeah these are good Pretty sure mm. that I did
0: You yeah. don't share the things you like Yeah I, I think I, I <laughs>
3: Oh man <laughs> Well, now we need counseling, <laughs> Friar. Erzinger. All right,
1: um,
2: this has become the oddest live read we've ever done. But it's my fault for daring to ask Todd anything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the script. Hey, it's not that you've discovered the delicacy that is pumpkin pie Kit Kats this time of year, and they are phenomenal. All right, you know. Do you know if you ate four of those, it's only 140 calories? I know I've looked. Four of them is 140 calories, so. You know if 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 your snack once or twice a day, if that you're treating yourself with is one hundred and forty calories, that ain't why you're not losing weight. I can promise you that, all right It's the fact you ate half the back. That's the issue. All right, it's not that you ate four. even having four twice a day, it's that you had fourteen. all right. So how do we turn it off? Riduzone will help you with that to get your cravings and your portion sizes under control. And right now you can try it for three months for 30% off with my name as Steve as a promo code at riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. Promo code Steve. All right, let's get to some more theology Thursday. And I've got a couple of uh, notes from listeners and viewers on this topic that I want to answer if I have time, because I definitely want to start with this one. This is from somebody who identifies themselves as J King, all right? J, the letter J, King. So J is a first initial. I am a heathen, he says, not a pagan, a heathen, meaning that I have my own gods that I worship and I don't believe in Jesus as a person or a God. But I believe that the teachings about him bring strength and joy to the people that do. And I enjoy your theology Thursdays. There's a lot of wisdom and truth uh, that you uh, you guys share and I don't really care who shines a light on it. Um, I think of pagans though, as lost Christians, the, the product of hypocritical religious institutions and their confusing shift in characteristic beliefs. I have many, he says, Christian with the air quotes, friends who barely know what the God of their beliefs requires. Many friends who come from homes that were at one time Christian, but likely left the church when everything they thought they knew changed so that the pastor could fill seats and offering plates. Several acquaintances I know are just looking for a group whose actions preach for their faith. I believe that this nation was founded on Christian principles and should continue to live by them. I believe that it is the Christian church's fault that our nation is turning the direction that it is. And it's refreshing to hear Christians on your show who understand and appear to try to live by what their own system dictates. That's what our nation needs and people that are unafraid to share it the way they know they know it with anyone listening. Well, I've got three responses to your note. Jay King, first of all, thank you very much for the kind words and for your willingness to listen to things um, and consider the merits of things you don't even agree with. That speaks very well to your character. So, number one, thank you for that. I want to, number two, I want to address the people you're talking about. Um, In general, our show has has always agreed from the beginning that the church is primarily responsible for what is happening in the culture because the church is the fundamental institution for the instilling of character in our culture. If you're one of those people he talks about that has experienced the kind of um, blatant hypocrisy that J.K. King references. If you've, if you've had a person in a church or church authority, abuse you, take advantage of you, betray you in some way. We absolutely sympathize with why you would be hesitant to go back. Here's where I would politely encourage you. And, and maybe this is an encouraging challenge. Have you ever had your heart broken by a member of the opposite sex before? Probably every single one of us, the answer is yes. Did that drive you into a lifetime of celibacy? Did that, did that send you um, to the manor um, in order to enjoy a quiet life of solitude with Friar Erzin? Did you you get thee to a nunnery? Ophelia. Okay. I mean, was there a period of time where you were um, once bitten, twice shy? Sure. But then eventually you get back into the ring. And the reason you do is because you have a, have a, a need and a desire that fuels that need for that connection and relationship. why not grant your creator the same opportunity because one of the one of the main reasons we make the destructive decisions and choices we make is we have a need and a desire that fuels that need for a relationship and a connection with him too i mean how many do you guys know anybody who's like you know, I've had a, even a string of bad relationships. So they spent the rest of their life never trying. They just determined years went by, they're just going to do celibacy. How many people really do that? How many people really do that? Do you know it's anybody like flat, that? Flat out choose? Yes. Well, just, just, just I'm, 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 I'm just going to, I'm going to go with celibacy. I'm, no, I'm just no. going to go with it. Almost no one flat out Literally. chooses if they yeah.
0: end up there. It's more of this desperate drifting of sure. nothingness. Yeah, so, yeah. Sure. yeah, you're right.
2: So, why would we do that with God? Um, have you ever been to a bad movie? Did you just stop going to movies? You ever had poor, bad service or food at a restaurant? Did we just stop going to restaurants? Is God? If God exists, do you think he might be more important than any of those things? So if we're willing to give these trivial things another chance, then why wouldn't we give something that, if it's true, is of the preeminent importance, God and his people, another chance? Do you think that's a fair argument?
0: Oh, it's a great argument. And the fact that we have to make it... We have such people talk about cheap grace. That the we have such a cheap definition of God. The way you put it right there, if or as
2: Francis Schaefer used to say, "Your God is too small." Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's and that's what you basically uh, said right there. Don't you think if all these other things are worth it to you, don't you think God's worth it? But that's that's the million dollar question right there. If we had a proper sense of definition and proportion about. That one three-letter word mm-hmm. that would get rid of a lot of question begging that we allow because we just believe in a, a cheap grace because we believe in a pretty cheap God. We celebrate the church sells a pretty cheap God oftentimes
2: in, in too in too many places. Yeah. I would agree with that.
3: Yeah, you have any thoughts on that, Aaron? No, I, mean, I totally echo what what uh, what Todd says. But no matter what, and I want to say this. For Christians as well, you're never, this t- this side of Eden you're, Eden, you're never going to be completely rid of sin. So at some level, at some level, throughout your entire life, even throughout that process of what uh, we would call progressive sanctification, I don't know, Todd, if you have a different term for that, and oh, sanctification, the process of over time becoming more and more like Jesus than you were previously, no matter how far along the road of progressive sanctification you are, you're still going to have your foibles, your struggles, your temptations, and you're still going to fall, and you're still going to have to pick yourself back up. So, whenever you do fall, you do make God into one of your own device, or you replace God with yourself, to some degree. The question is, do you fall? Do you repent? Do you get back up from that as well? And... Holy Spirit working in your in your life uh, would indicate that when you do when you do fall, you will get back up again. But I want to I want to say that as well. I think that's important in this uh, conversation as well. It's not just for those who are lost or disillusioned about the thought of a personal relationship with their Maker. It is for Christians as well. We have to be careful about that as well because anytime we sin, we are saying that God is not who he says he is.
2: And I understand why being let down by the church hurts more than even being, having your heart broken by somebody from the opposite sex. Because the, the acknowledged expectation there is we're supposed to be better than this, right? Mm -hmm. Why are we supposed to be better than this? Where, where would your expectation that we're supposed to be better than this come from? urban legend? You Googled it, right? Where where would your expectation that, that the institutions and people of God are supposed to be better than this come from? And the fact that you, don't you think maybe the fact that you have such lofty expectations for the institutions and people of God indicate the preeminence of a relationship with God. You know what I'm trying to say there? In yeah, a way, this is me. self-indicting. The fact that you have this, that we have these high expectations. you have higher expectations for the church or for the DMV? Why? Why? Well, because well, of what the church claims to be. Well, lots of people claim all kinds of things. Do you have higher expectations for Sun Young Moon or the, the, the Church of the Open Bible down the street? What do you got higher expectations for? Sun Young Moon claims to be Jesus himself. How many of you have expectations that he actually is? Isn't the fact that you have these expectations for orthodoxy, meaning right belief and right behavior, and that you're so stung when they're not met, Isn't that as good a proof as you're going to find anywhere else that you need this relationship and desire it? Because you don't care what some half-pint crackpot rolls out of bed with and tweets, do you? No. That doesn't sting you at all. That doesn't hurt. In a way, your own sense of betrayal is acknowledgement that you need this relationship and desire it. And should you at least give it as many chances as you give human relationships at least as many chances. Now I want to say a third thing to Mr. J. King. I find it fascinating that you want to live in a country inspired by the virtues and principles of a faith system you reject. Have you considered that might be a fallacy? I mean, I, I, why would you want, you know, I'm reminded of the great line from Mark Twain, I, I would not belong to any church that would have me as a member. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? one, one of the most self-aware phrases for a man who made a career out of self-aware phrases. All right. Um, what, sir, why do you belong to a belief system that you don't think the culture you live in should be based on? I don't know, I'd have a hard time really buying into something that I didn't think it was a good idea for us to live by. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, is that there there might be, you might have some introspection to do about your own uh, beliefs there, Mr. J. King. Why believe in something you don't want other people to abide by or believe in? I don't know why you would waste your time with a belief system like that. Why would you, why would you waste your time with, I I, I really want to hold on to this, but I think it's really best for everybody else if they don't believe what I believe and instead actually believe in things I don't believe are true. I'm not exactly sure how that is a philosophically sound argument. And maybe you've never thought about it like that. You know, I get this from atheists all the time. Christians aren't supposed to act like that. If you've got such a high regard for Christianity, why haven't you considered becoming one then? I mean, if you come at me, I come back at you, and then you come back to me as I'm, I'm supposed to be better than you? Well, if you agree my belief system is better, then why, why are you knowingly holding on to what by your own admission, therefore, is an inferior belief system? Who admits my team sucks up front? But I'm just going to stick with it anyway. Who does that? Does that make any sense to you at all? Well, you are a Lions fan. Well, that, but I am admitting up front That my team sucks. And and, and I acknowledge that. You cannot on one hand claim your belief is superior and then though say that my belief should make me better than you. Well, if my belief system should make me better than you, then guess whose belief system is the superior one, right? If my belief system should make me of a person of better character than you, then you are saying my belief system is better than yours. Why continue to hold on to that belief system? And if you don't want the culture you live in to be based on the belief system you have, why would you have that belief system then? What, what What's the merits of those beliefs? I don't know. You should be
0: telling them, of Just course. Just something to think about. Yeah, you should be telling them, a, a reasonable argument is, this is all made up, so of course you're a terrible person and a liar. I mean, that's the <laughs> reasonable argument for them to be making, not that you're a good person. Exactly. Be, yeah, you should so why, be a terrible why could, person. So, why,
2: why could someone who's not true make me better? Why could someone who never lived make me better? Why could someone who's, not, who's dead and in a grave make me better here in, in the real world in real time? How are any of those things possible? Hey, you know those annoying robocalls that you're getting right now? Be careful. They're attempts to get a hold of your identification information. And even if they can't steal your identity because you're prudent after all, you've got identity theft protection, which all of you should have, they can still, though, use that information to pretend they're you in other places. For example, the FBI calls this home title fraud or home equity theft because a lot of our home titles and mortgages are kept online nowadays. So these scammers, they get a hold of your personal info because you answered it on a robocall. They then go to where your mortgage is kept or your home title. Uh, They sign in as you make it look like you sold your home to them and then they liquidate all of that equity In their favor, and often you don't find out about it until late payment notices or foreclosure notices start to show up. Don't let this happen to you, especially when for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will put a virtual barrier around your home's title, your most important and valuable investment for most Americans, to prevent it from ever occurring. And right now, you can get 60 risk-free days of protection at home title lock.com. Get 60 risk-free days of protection at hometitolock.com. And you can find out if your home's title has already been tampered with and targeted as well at home title lock.com. Well, if you didn't get enough Theology Thursday, we're down to the end of the show here today. We're actually going to do another version of Theology Thursday for the overtime today. An interesting poll is out of how Americans view their pastor. And we're going to discuss that for our Blaze TV subscribers during the overtime. We'll stick around and tape it for you, for the rest of you. We'll see you tomorrow from noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John 317.
0: This is Steve Days.
1: On the Blaze Radio Network.